We record on Turrbal and Yagara country in Mianjin, Brisbane. The Committee for Brisbane acknowledges the First Nations people of the region and their continuing connection to and care of the land, waters and community of that region. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Welcome to Dream Boldly, the podcast that brings together the best and brightest minds from Brisbane, Australia, proud host city of the 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Our guests will be experienced and well-known Brisbane leaders sharing big ideas to help shape a better city and region. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Dream Boldly podcast and our first panel discussion. Today, I am joined by four members of the newly created Creative Brisbane CoLab, a group of senior business leaders from the creative and corporate sectors bound by a common goal. Here to tell us about the CoLab, what it's all about and what it's here to do, welcome Liz Golding, Barton Green, Steve Sleswick and Chris Watson. Hello. <laughs> Let's start with introductions, Liz. Hello. Thanks for having us. My, I oh, so introduce myself. I've got a long history in the fashion industry in Brisbane. I'm an old fashion stylist. Most people think of me. I run the only photographers agency in Queensland and I formed the Fashion Council of Queensland about two years ago now because we needed it. Hmm. Fabulous. Hmm. Welcome, Liz. And Steve. My name's Steve Sleswig. I'm the, the managing director of the Tivoli and the Princess Theatre. My background, interestingly, is more in the realm of business and, and, and property and what have you. And since being involved in the Tivoli since 2016 with my younger brother, Dave, who's, who's got the arts background, we've sort of developed our, or my, my professional involvement in the creative industry. So that's, um, that's where I come from. And Chris, your background <laughs> is, is quite different yeah, to yeah. fashion and music. Yeah. So Chris Watson, I'm a, a partner at Grant Thornton, who are a, uh, an accounting audit advisory firm with offices all over the world. Uh, my particular specialisation is in risk consulting, cybercrime. So as you can imagine, we're quite busy these days at the moment. Mm. My background is also very, I'm a former detective from the City of London Police, built one of the first computer crime departments uh, back in the early 90s when I really understood computers. But I'm, I'm a frustrated creative I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've always had sort of music in and around me and, and sort of tried very poorly to make music and and I'm sure we'll go on to this in a little while but part of this is that I like to reflect in other people's creative glory so. mm, I saw you say cyber security and saw our podcast boss Gil shift in his chair <laughs> and what about you Barton thanks Adam uh, Barton Green I'm the CEO of the committee for Brisbane I guess for the purposes of this podcast the committee has been the herder of cats, of creative cats, if you like, to bring the CoLab together with lots of our members and friends across the creative and corporate sectors. So we're a founding member of the CoLab. I have been in and around the arts community for 25, 30 years as a consultant to many of the organisations in Brisbane prior to this role. And I played drums in a old man's rock band. So that's my creative bit. <laughs> Fantastic. We look forward to that a little later in the episode. <laughs> but let's start with with you, Barton, the Creative Brisbane CoLab undertakes to act as a single voice to advocate on behalf of the creative sector as a driving force in city life and the economy. How did the group come about? It resulted from a process that the committee did run in 2021, which was to look at the potential legacies for our community, the city and the region of South East Queensland from the hosting of the Games in 2032. And the project was called Brisbane 2033 Legacy Project. The year after the Games, if we look back, what are the sorts of things we could achieve? And under our creativity theme for looking at legacy, 
one of the ideas that came from a, a working group of a bunch of people was, is there a better way to have a relationship between the creative sector and the commercial sector? That's not about transactions. Typically, those relationships are based on ticket sales or patronage or sponsorship. So there's an opportunity to look at how do we create something that has a much deeper level of engagement so that the mutual benefits as those parts of our economy get to know each other better can be reflected in better advocacy to community and government. So that was the idea and it was floated and it's been really well supported. We have now more than 85 members of the CoLab and it's growing every week. Mm. And, and what was the process of recruiting people to join the CoLab? Well, we started with firstly coming up with the Creative Brisbane vision. We had a group of friends and members and affiliates of the Committee for Brisbane from across the arts sector there. So we road tested the idea with them first. And interestingly, having 25 creatives in a room, we came out with a quite succinct Creative Brisbane vision. <laughs> that was a really fun process. Once we settled on what was basically a statement of ambition for our city from the creative perspective, and this is creativity in all its forms, art and culture, but we we're also talking about interactive games and technology. We're talking about research at institutions. We're talking about architecture and landscape architecture, AI and robotics, so creativity in all its forms. Once we had the vision, we went, well, that's pretty good. What the can we do with that? <laughs> and we went, well, well, let's try and have a look at this idea that was generated from our Brisbane 2033 project. And we just essentially reached out to friends it was well supported by the arts community. Then we thought, let's reach out to the universities. They all jumped on board straight away. So Griffith and QUT and UQ are members of the CoLab. And then we reached out to corporate members of the Committee for Brisbane. So we just essentially started with friends. There are now many on the CoLab that have no relationship with the Committee for Brisbane, other than now we're partners on the CoLab. But the uptake was terrific. It's interesting and, and inspired to hear how far-reaching the, the definition of creativity is as defined by the CoLab. I think different people have different ring fences, I guess, in, in terms of what they class as creativity or, or not. And it was great to be at a, a meeting of the CoLab and see so many different, you know, as you said, people from architectural backgrounds, from universities, from consulting firms. I'd love to throw open to the panel and, and get your personal definitions of creativity and how you define what's in and what's out. Chris? Oh, Christ. And I've got to follow Barn with that. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and as I say, my passion, you know, is, is, has always been music in respect of, of the arts uh, and creative industries. And I think that combined with the opportunity that the 2032 Olympics, Paralympics provides this city to be able to create something which is a rich, vibrant, cultural, diverse experience for not only people who are going to come and visit this city, perhaps for the first time, but also people who choose to live, work and, and play here. And so to be able to combine the city in which I live, to combine sort of my desire to, to make this the, the most livable city, to make this the most attractive city, combined with my passion for strong and thriving art scene, it was really a no-brainer for me to, to become involved with a collaboration. And, and as you say, it's as much for the corporates, if, if, if we define them like that, to learn from the creative sector. And, and we may speak about this later, but professional services firms from which I sort of, you know, we are screaming out for people. There is, you know, there's that, the war for talent. And creative people are, that creative thinking are a vital part of how we're going to be successful as an organisation. So the more that we can do as an organisation to build that infrastructure, that creative infrastructure, so that we can then tap into that for our people. I think it's just a win-win. Mm. And ha how about you, Liz? What was your motivation for wanting to be part of this group in particular? Well, 
I've seen fashion not be involved in these sort of talks for 34 years. In, I've been in the industry and I thought it was about time that fashion had a voice. Yeah. So sometimes I think it, I look at it, people who do have a big fashion voice in this city and you've got to make a decision, okay, is it me now? Do I need to step up? And Because and, I heard cats for a living as well, <laughs> you know, connecting people, bringing people in and, yeah, just being part of it. I think you touched on something there which is very interesting and, and that is that fashion is often separated from arts and culture and I, and I say arts and culture in inverted commas there but when you look at things like funding frameworks, whether that's federal government, state government, the makeup of our major arts and cultural festivals, those kinds of really high profile visible things that people associate with art and culture, fashion is often missing. As someone who has lived and breathed fashion for over 30 years, what are your thoughts on this? Why is that the case and would you like to see fashion more integrated? Oh, yes, that's my mission, <laughs> obviously. Why has it not been? Because the right person at the right time hasn't stepped forward and done it. That's it. Mm. And we have had, in my personal point of view, we have had fashion has been richer and a bigger industry in Brisbane before and it needs some work. Mm. Yeah. Steve, your partnership with renowned businessman uh, Steve Wilson to restore Queensland's oldest surviving theatre, The Princess in Woolloongabba, is probably one of the most significant recent examples of Brisbane's business and arts communities coming together in a really inspired way. How did this particular partnership come about? Yeah, look, I think that's a really good case study on exactly what it is that the collaboration is trying to achieve. I think the the partnership with Steve was probably part, you know, like, like all opportunities, part luck and, and part destiny. But when the building came up for sale, we had a you know an obvious interest in it in terms of pursuing other opportunities. And there were a few connections we had into Steve. I knew he had he was a, a stakeholder in the precinct where the theatre is. And through the owners of the building, I sort of inquired as to whether or not, and I knew he had a just through my, my knowledge of Steve, I knew he had a, a passion for heritage property. And I said, look, Steve, um, tried to buy the property or has he showed any interest? And the feedback was that he was interested in it, but um, didn't really know what to do with it or in terms of how to activate the building. So we can solve that problem, but we're in the middle of COVID and don't have any income. So we need to solve the finance piece. And so we literally made an introduction. I sent him an email and said, look, you're interested in having a chat with us about potentially partnering on the princess. And he responded to that really well. We we caught up and literally one or two conversations and a long lunch later, and we all felt good about pursuing a, a joint venture together. So the rest is history. The venue's now open and it's been a wonderful partnership. Mm. And a beautiful restoration. It is a yeah. spectacular building. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It really makes, just hearing that story makes you think about and consider how many great opportunities have fallen over because somebody didn't dare to ask the question. And I, I love hearing that you just went, Steve? might be interested in this, let's just ask. Got to put out what you want to get back. Yeah. But, you know, I think what's interesting as well, and that's absolutely correct, but from an outsider, you know, coming into the, the collaboration, what's been really revealing to me is that, you know, with 70, 80, some members, Brisbane does a lot. We really do have, uh, I mean, I'd hesitate to call it like an under, but, you know, we, we have a rich, vibrant, arts and cultural scene with, with a lot of variety, you know, Elizabeth of fashion state, we don't talk about it very well. We don't bring that together very mm. well. And I think that's, that's going to be one of the most powerful things with the collaboration is to have that unified voice to shout about it and say, 
look, we do a lot of really good stuff already. We can do more. We want to do more. But hey, we, you know, we're a great place to come if you want to create and show your art. Mm. And sometimes it's just unifying that voice as well. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And I also think that the power of that collective network, it's mm. amazing when you look at the depth of experience that, that mm. exists across industries, across businesses yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, within that group and, and what that means for, uh, you know, the opportunity for connection. Yeah. Mm. Well, the intention is clear. Mm. Mm. Uh, can I just pick up on the point that Chris made? It, there's a, a real lack of understanding of what we already have in this city. Mm. And the city is maturing. I've been here for most of my life and it's a really exciting time to be here. The challenge that really got this whole thing started came from the artistic director of Queensland Ballet, Lee Shin Swing, who's on the advisory council of the committee, who who challenged us about what could the committee do to raise the profile of, at that time, art and culture. That was really the first conversation that ended up where we are today. But on the journey for me, I found all these things about Brisbane I had no idea to Chris's <laughs> yeah, yeah. point. Um, out at Northgate is the advanced robotics hub for manufacturing. It is the centre in Australia for software design for robotics. People who want to work in that space come here to do that. So we've got that. You know, we've got when QPAC's theatre is finished, the new theatre, it's the largest indoor theatre complex in the Southern Hemisphere, as I understand. And that's amazing and fantastic. Yeah. So we have all these little gems happening. The Interactive Gaming and Entertainment Association are members of ours. Brisbane was the centre in Australia for gaming technology development, and they are aiming hard to get that back again. Gaming's going to change the way that we do business. And then we've got AI and other things. This is all happening in this fantastic city, and part of it is getting the stories out there, mm. letting people know. I also think, Barton, that one of the things that's happening as a result of the collaboration is that a lot of individual participants in that creative ecosystem for the first time are getting the visibility of that breadth of talent and industry. And a lot of people in that room would have had no idea of that, you know, that, mm. that kind of diversity of our creative economy until they got in the room. I think it's, you, you talk, Barton, about, you know, there is a real need for us to be banging our own drum a little bit. And I think that is a, that is a quintessentially Queensland and Brisbane thing in that we're not shouty. We kind of just get in and get it done. And, and probably our, our strength is in being a little underestimated at times. Yeah. Do you think it is time for yeah. us to, to kind of own uh, our successes a little bit more? Well, you don't have to be boastful to be proud. So, yeah, that's the way I talk about it. It's not about, you know, look at me at this shiny thing. It's just about going, we're doing good stuff here. And again, to the point that Chris made and so many of the corporate members make, to attract and retain talent anywhere in the world, we have a global economy now, everything's mobile, people move quite easily. You've got to be able to offer some good things to do outside your day job. I think one of the things that came up in the collaboration most recent workshop was the idea of, you know, it's all well and good to have these precincts where creativity exists and thrives and people people recognise, but in order to be a truly creative city, you need to be able to walk down any street, any laneway a- and see creativity. Yeah. Mm. I think the visibility is a big piece. For me, I, I think, um, and, and growing up in Brisbane, my, my um, you know, I don't come from an artistic background, but I was involved in sport as a, as a kid. And I think, I think in Brisbane, we do sport and the outdoor lifestyle really, really well. Mm. And I would love to see Brisbane as a city or, or the people of Brisbane, um, you know, 
be as deeply engaged in music and art and culture as they are in that that sport and outdoor lifestyle mm. aspect of living in Brisbane. Mm. And I think if we could achieve that, um, and, and, and part of it is giving, I, I agree with you, Adam, giving visibility to that aspect of what is already here. Like we already have so much, but making that a little bit more visible, promoting it in areas of audience development and those sorts of things, but just getting that next level of engagement generally um, is something that I'd love to see. And, and I think, and we were having a, a sort of a chat about this office the night, for, you know, for the regulation and, and the bureaucracy to be made, you know, to be such that it's actually easier for venues to either open or provide entertainment for for, for longer or, you know, I think, again, Steve will correct me, you know, there are issues around sort of noise regulations, which actually are really hard for certain venues to comply with. And so that limits how many people or how often, how late, you know, there are really simple things that don't necessarily have to cost a huge amount of money to be able to open up more, you know, to open up that accessibility. I, I think, and going from a personal point of view, and this is one of my little hobby horses, and I always sort of trot it out when I ask about these things, you know, when, um, when we have a major sport event, Steve's absolutely right, you know, we do sport really well. And I think it was the NRL Super Week, and you'll forgive me because I'm not a rugby or whatever person, but there were thousands of people milling around Queen Street Mall. There was nothing on for them to mm. sit and listen to. Now, there might be some half-time entertainment in the stadium. That's fabulous. But it's that before and the after thing that I think we're really missing it's out not on. Integrated. No, it's no, not integrated. No, no, no. I know uh, Q Music's one of the members of the K-Lab, and, and JC, who was a member of Powderfinger, great Brisbane Brown, often talks about this, that mm. the relationship between sport and music has always been there. Yeah, you know, you'll have the yeah. hoodoo gurus playing at halftime at the mm. NRL grand final, whatever it might be. Mm. But your, your point, Chris, about the integration of activity is critical. People, what do you do before and after the game? How do we keep people here? Tourism often talks about how do you get someone to stay that one extra night, yeah. uh, particularly in the city of Brisbane, which is often referred to as a gateway. We've got to stop mm. that. We've got to keep people here. But that integration is critical. And as we move these last nine years towards 2032, <clears throat> There's going to be more and more large-scale events here as we test our city and region. I mean, we've got the World Women's World Cup in uh, so yes. soccer, football, yeah. coming up yep. in only a couple of months. months yeah. What's the entertainment program that mm. the city can put on, not yeah. the actual event? What's the entertainment program that the city can put on or the experiences that they might have wanting to go and see a fashion show or go to Choir Gamer for some of the greatest Indigenous art collection mm. that, <coughs> excuse me, in Australia, go to a ballet Go to it, walk down to Brunswick Street and go, I don't know what I'm going to see, but I know I'm going to see something. Mm, yep. You know, that sort of an experience. So they're, they're the lived experience outcomes we have. And then the other component of this collaboration and, is and, the and button. And I know there's going to be something to see. Yeah. Is the other, yeah, is yeah, the other yeah. part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think this is this is what one of the great challenges for the for the collaboration is that, you know, I think the worst outcome when you talk about the Olympics and Paralympics is that entertainment events are put on solely for the Olympics and then they get packed up and go away and then there's nothing post that. Mm. You know, I think this is where the collaboration can really push that legacy aspect. Or they that, bring the, the them moment. in from outside the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have people stay and in the city rather than just going off to the Sunshine Coast or the mm. Gold Coast for a holiday, but, you know, yeah. keep them here mm. because there's lots of things to sort of do and see and, 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 and enjoy. We do want this collaboration to be a significant influence on the art and cultural program for 2032 and the legacy for creativity. And we've spoken and we're about to start advocating fairly strongly on that. When this is, you can have a single conversation with this incredibly diverse group of people um, that really cut short the timeframes on getting some great ideas yeah. suggested and put through. I love, Liz, I love what you just touched on there, which is about the, the notion of 
others doing it better. You know, the fact that we've got, and we still see it with a lot of our kind of major events, both from a from a tourism body perspective as, also, as well as our major events, festivals, there is a real, we really hang our hats on, you know, who we've brought in. Yeah. The, uh, you know, and, and I feel like we have that, that recalibration has been, you know, probably one of the, the upsides of, of COVID and how that forced us to change our perspectives and, and to really lean in. But mm. I'd love the, the, your thoughts on how we strike that balance between celebrating our own, bringing people in. Is, is there a right formula? How do we get it right? Gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> I don't know how you get it right. But I think when you've got a lot of people looking at your city, to have someone from mm. who's not from Brisbane being in the limelight from an entertainment point of view, I feel really upset by that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, one of the great things that the collaboration can in time deliver are yes, sort of city-based, but, you know, ultimately, you know, personally, I'd like to see how we, you know, get out to, you know, the, the, the suburbs and the sort of the communities to help create the facilities, incubators yeah. for local talent to, to be identified and, and, and developed and nurtured to come to the fore. So, we, you know, we can, we can build that local talent. Mm. But with the facilities that are, you know, and we've got, again, one of the things that blew my mind is when we talk about um, the valley. I mean, the, the valley is a unique precinct in its composition. It doesn't, it, it, something like it doesn't exist anywhere else, right? Mm. So we can attract, you know, the, the, the big names that, you know, with the proposed Brisbane Live, when that's, you know, we can attract the big names to these to these venues. Um, the Obviously the casino, when I'm, I'm, I'm sure their plans are to bring. So there are the things in place that can attract the international, the outside to give it the, the glitz. But if we can, um, as, as an industry, create those, areas those hubs for incubation then people mm. can see the success and, and it's a it's a you know it's a, it's a cycle mm. yeah i don't yeah. think we should have too much of a cultural cringe about having great acts visiting here because we want our great acts to visit elsewhere yeah. i mean i love elton john i'd pay just about any amount of money to go I and did. see him play. Yeah, <laughs> so, as, as, as an example uh you know and, and it's it's a wonderful celebration of a mature city yeah, that yeah. The, the larger acts, and we're talking music here a lot, of course. It's not just music. Mm. Uh, Paris Opera Ballet came here a few years ago. You know, we've had great tours across all parts of art and culture. It, that's a sign of a mature city and one that has an audience size that's large enough to be able to say, yes, we can support that. Mm. But it's also about the experience that we can have for others. I think if you're talking about the games specifically, well, that's a straight out First Nations and Australia only piece, right? Mm. We don't need any internationals to be showcasing their wares to the world when mm. all eyes, half of the world's eyes are on Brisbane at that opening ceremony in July 2032. Mm. You know, and the great question has been asked, what are they going to see? And in this art and culture and creative space, we've got a great opportunity to go, mm. have a look at this, people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I love you touched on a moment ago, Barton, that one of the priorities of the collaboration will be to be an influential voice in the art and cultural programming that sits around 2032. What are some of the other immediate priorities of this group? Uh, Steve touched on one earlier, which came out of a, a workshop we had just recently with CoLab members, that is why don't we audit or map what we've already got here? It doesn't exist. It does exist in lots of different places, but it's not in one spot. So that's something that we're looking at doing so that we actually know what the story is that we have to tell. That also allows for opportunity for interaction. I think when you look at our 
the home companies, as they're called, the opera, the ballet, the symphony, the theatre, for example. There's a lot of interaction there. Symphony plays for the ballet, etc. How do we grow that? So that's, I guess, one critical piece there for us. Another idea that came out of our recent catch-up was how do we measure success in this space? So what are the things that we think as a Coalab are important as measures of a creative community? Mm. And then can we measure those so that year on year or every couple of years we can go, we've made progress in this particular ambition that we thought we could do better in, or we've really built some good narrative around this particular thing that we're already good at. So I guess a creative index model is something that we've talked about doing. So they're the first couple of project ideas, if you like, that have come out of the Colab, understanding this is a brand new thing. So what we're wanting to do is do some work that we can legitimately claim as our own, and that moves the dial a bit in the conversations and activities around creativity in our city. Mm. To your earlier point as well, Adam, I think just on what are one of the things we'd love to see happen in Brisbane or even as a result of the collaboration? And, and I think a unique aspect of this collaboration for me is just for the first time having this group of creative people and creative businesses in the same room as traditional industry in the corporate mm, world yeah. is just such a valuable mix of skills to have in the same conversation. And firsthand within our own business, and this is, I, I sort of straddle from a background in entrepreneurship and business. I, I understand that language and that conversation. And I now find myself in a career in the arts, which is super interesting to me. Like it's, it's, he even it's grew his hair long. <laughs> <laughs> that was just lack of budget for haircuts during COVID. Um, it's a fascinating space and conversation when both of those two things come together. And in our business, sometimes they come together in jarring ways, but if we can find a way to get creative businesses, and on the creative side of things, I see a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and a lack of understanding often about how to monetize that, how to commercialize it, how to yeah. build sustainable businesses around it. And a lot of that is based on, you know, subsidy mindset and subsidy business models which is just so hard. It's just such hard work. So I'm hoping that one of the things that comes out of it is, you know, more partnership opportunities between, you know, the top end of town that has money and commercial expertise and, and business mentoring capacity and finding partnership opportunities that actually help a lot of those creative businesses out there that are in the emerging phase of, you know, their life cycle to sort of get off first base. Mm. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity to do some work in that area. Mm. I think it's you, you've touched on there something that is also very fascinating and, and it's that there is this assumption more broadly that the arts and, and cultural practices are either not-for-profit or that they're not commercial from the outside looking in. And I think there is this... I don't um, get that. Yeah. I don't get it. It's a business. Yeah. Well, this assumption because it says not for profit, you assume you can't make money. I mean, it, it, yeah, and we come across this a lot actually with, with our clients. I've you know, been it, told it, to put a not for profit together to run some events that I want to do. I don't get it. Mm. Like I understand where they're coming from, but why don't are you not allowed to make money out yeah, of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. and, and pay and wages. I think and you're pay right. artists. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should it, like. It, Drop not for profit, call it full purpose, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, it's, it, there's that sort of inbuilt. Uh, I don't know what a word Honestly, is. Honestly, we're not in it to make money. Yeah. We're just trying to pay normal wages. It's yeah. not. It's not huge. But it's really interesting, Mark. Why shouldn't you be in it to make money? You know, I mean, yes, art and creative industries serve a higher purpose in terms of. And again, I this is you know one of the things that I feel very passionate about is it helps to inform 
the society in which you want to live. It helps to sort of ask the questions. It helps to define and it helps outside people understand who we are and, and who we are ourselves. Yes, that, and that's really, really important. But why shouldn't that be something that makes money so that you can then reinvest, so you can then grow, so that we can then well, create... I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Venues okay. make money. No yeah, one has a problem yeah. with the venue yeah. making yeah. money. Yeah, it's a no funny one has a problem with the production making yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree it is a cultural thing. So what needs to change for hmm. art and culture to be seen as a viable commercial avenue professional channel? I always think that it's a bit about building communities and then the community values what you're doing. Hmm. So you build it and they'll come, sure, but you have to go and you have to herd cats and bring them together to see what you're wanting to show them, entertain them with, you know, mm. creating places, whatever it is. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, can I just ask, who are we trying to influence with that question you've asked, Adam? Because for Joe Public and Jane Public, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But they go to a gig or an event or a show or whatever they, they're wanting to do. Mm. Government understands that there's got to be a commercial reality to these outcomes. It funds a lot of companies, but a lot of them are standalone private mm. sector organisations. So... Um, I, I think it's, f from my perspective, I obviously in my role as a Ruger, we work with a lot of arts organisations and venues and the recurring dialogue that comes up year on year is the shows don't make money or, oh, it's there's caps on salaries or, or growth of roles and, and job opportunities aren't progressing in the same way that other industries are because it's the arts or that's just the arts. That's the <laughs> sacrifice that you make as part of the arts and doing what you love. Why do we accept that that is the case for one in this industry in particular and not others? I think it can be a tricky conversation in the arts or in creative industries to talk about art as a product. But the moment you start to think about art or any kind of artistic output as a product, you can then go, well, is there a market for this product? And like many different kinds of products, some of them are commercial and some of them aren't. And there are aspects of artistic output in performing arts as, a, as an example where the economics don't stack up for it to be viable as a commercial product, which doesn't make it not worth doing. It just means you do need to go to other forms of funding it. And there's huge amounts of non-commercial art that is has amazing artistic integrity and deserves to be showcased and we need to find a way to showcase it. But then there's also a lot of other stuff that you go, well, this we need to find a way to, to create a market for this. And that mindset is tricky to talk about, I think, in the creative sector. But the reality is every other business out there that is profitable and viable and sustainable has a product or a service that they sell and a market for that product or service. And the moment the market ceases to be there for that product or service, they cease to have a business. So there's there's a lot of mindset stuff around that. But yeah, I, it's a tricky it's one. You say, I don't think, you know, I keep thinking of a, a comment you made earlier, Adam, around as Queenslanders, we probably don't shout out or, that, so, you know, the boast or, or whatever that might be. And I think there's something of that. If we can get to a place where we don't have the creative drain, you know, the amount of friends I have, and I'm sure we all got similar stories where I'm going to go to Melbourne because that's where, you know, I can go make my music or I'm going to go to Berlin because I'm a techno, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit of a, again, there's a, you know, there's a catch-22 to the whole thing, you know. If we start to celebrate, if we start to talk about all the great things that we do and the more people and, and the more people see the things that can be created, mm. the more people will come here, the more people that stay here, the more people that create. Yeah. And I think that will I mean, I'm no economist by any stretch, but you know, for me, you know, if you get that momentum going, then money should start coming into I mean, I'm pretty sure Rich Sheeran made money. Mm. <laughs> right. I just think so we were doing the numbers on that the other day and 
and he made a lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, Plenty. Based on, based on the $70 I paid for three bottles of water, he made a lot of money. <laughs> I think it's interesting that we, you know, this, this feeds into one of the identified projects that the collaboration could own, which is around a more qualitative way of measuring the impact of what this industry does. And, and we talk about the far-reaching social impact being one of those. Are there any personal experiences, thinking, throwing to you, Liz, and also to Steve, from your creative careers where you've got a, a lovely example of that very personal, seemingly small impact that something creative that you've done has had on an individual, a small group? Oh, countless. Well, for one instance, I was fashion editor up at the Sunday Mail and the Career Mail for five years. And just by me putting some brands in the pages and they had lots of sales, now they've got stores here. It's my fault. Mm. Yeah. Like just, it's just me going, oh, I like that. Get on the phone or on the email, bring it in, shoot it. Like, oh, there's a market there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And countless PR girls going, oh, it's our best selling store. We've never been there. Oh my God. <laughs> it's frustrating. I just don't understand it. They go, oh, it's just a small town. They don't know. Like, it's not the arts and culture has not had a big media platform. That's my bugbear. That's what is actually agitating me with this conversation. Mm. You'll get a big section of sport. Fantastic. Mm. But the arts, it's just not supported in mainstream media. A lot of the audience we're looking to attract use other methods of, of getting information. So I think there's plenty of ways we can do that, but it is a shame. Yes, we used to have a really proud and vibrant art writing community across newspapers in Australia, but that industry's changed a lot. So um, I think we can get the stories out elsewhere. Mm. I mean, coming to, to personal experiences, you only really need to look at the last three terrible years with uh, COVID where we couldn't go and do the things that we normally did. Mm. People really understood how important access to art, culture and creativity was to their health and well-being. And that's a big element of what we're talking about. It's not just the economic impacts and, and opportunities from creativity, it's its influence, positive influence on health and well-being. And we're now rebuilding. We've lost a lot of people from many industries during COVID. We'll, we'll find some challenges there, but that's got to be a really important part of the conversation when you come to that value proposition you said, Adam, it's not just dollars, it's what does it really mean to a community to have these elements. These things do attract people. Sure. Our vision starts with the words Brisbane, the place to be, and that's partly because there's an expression you might have heard about Brisbane that it's their best experience and not described. People come here and go, well, how long has this been here? So yeah. we're, mm. we're a reasonably good secret. I don't actually have a big issue with that. But, I know. Um, uh, <laughs> it, we're a reasonably big secret. That's going to explode over the next nine to ten years, right? Hopefully our role is to help ensure that the experience that people have in the place to be is brilliant. Mm. And also one of the, to your point, Adam, about the the, the intangible and the qualitative and the non-financial benefits of the creative industries and one of the projects we talk about in the collaboration group is how do we measure that? And I hope that that's something we get successful at doing because once you can, by whatever way, whether it's, by, by whatever measure that is, once we get better at understanding that value, you've got something to advocate for. You've got something that as a group we can talk about and we can understand. And to the question about individual experience with that, we see that every single night of the week. We're in the fortunate position to 
to run a commercial business and pay our bills and our wages and all that kind of stuff in doing so. But every single night of the week, we see people walk out the front door of our building with huge smiles on their faces mm. and having the best time of their life. And there's no, compared to having had a, a personal history in other businesses and doing other things, it's a very privileged position to be in to be able to operate a business that also has that impact. And um, it's very visible. So, Adam, to go back to that earlier question about what do we think is creativity, I think it's disruptive thinking. Mm. And I think without people who think about things differently to the average person, we cannot have growth. Mm. It is so essential. Well said. Uh, In the spirit of this podcast, Dream Boldly, I would love to hear from each of you very Succinctly, what? No, <laughs> briefly. I would love, I would love the long version, but feel free to be as brief as you like. Uh, in the spirit of this podcast, what are your hopes and ambitions for Brisbane, Chris? Oh, why me first? Um, <laughs> I think for Brisbane to shake off a little bit of its embarrassment or sort of reluctance to shout out about what's amazing here, we have net my you know, the positive sort of, but if that can be translated to the creative industries, then that would be amazing for people to stop moving to Melbourne or moving overseas because they feel that's where they can achieve what they want to achieve. Um, And for that to radiate out towards our suburbs and communities to engage them in the creative arts as well. A city renowned for creativity, just a place where you can come and know that you can have a crack and you'll be warmly embraced, supported and celebrated. I'd like to see more micro-platforms down on the ground helping the young people have a space to show what they're doing, talk about what they're doing, feel like someone sees them. Selfishly, I want Don O'Rourke to find a great big block of land somewhere not too far from the city and build a surf park. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that'd be good. Um, succinct. <laughs> but but I, think, I think for me it's... The idea that Brisbane, in addition to everything that everyone's just said, which I'm in agreement with, is that Brisbane is known as a real firecracker of a city that punches above its weight, that for its population, there's just, there's so much here. It's got a bit of everything. So if there's some kind of metric of punches packed per capita or or whatever, you know, know, Australia goes to the Olympics and every single Olympics we're looked at as that company, that country with 25 million people that just on the world stage blitzes the competition. So I, so I want Brisbane to be that little pocket rocket of excitement and, and life and vitality and art and culture and all that kind of stuff. That's, mm-hmm. that's my hope. Sounds like that's the first metric for the collaboration. It's punches punch packed per capita. And Barton, for those interested in finding out more about the collaboration, potentially getting involved, where can they go? Uh, we've got a website, Adam. So it's uh, creatorbrisbane.com.au, just the starting point. All our members are on there, so people can get to see the breadth and depth of who we've got. We're adding logos to that every day. Uh, or shoot an email to info at creativebrisbane.com.au and we'll be able to get back to them. Fantastic. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to Dream Boldly. This podcast is brought to you by the Committee for Brisbane in association with Aruga. The Committee for Brisbane is an independent, not-for-profit organisation whose vision is for Greater Brisbane to be the world's most livable place. To find out more, please visit committeeforbrisbane.org.au.
please remember to rate and share the show. See you next time.